Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to episode 14 of Medium Lady Talks. This is Medium Lady Talks about your summer reading pile. And I have an amazing guest today, my friend, Allie, Allie Oppenlander. Am I saying that right? That's it. Yes, Oh, thank goodness. Allie Oppenlander is my friend of a friend who's become a, just a friend. Allie is an avid reader and she is always sharing awesome recommendations on Instagram And I thought I would invite her onto the podcast to talk books, books for summer, what you might want to think about reading that is probably not going to be on any summer reading guide. Some books that are kind of maybe on the backlist. But first, we'll start. Allie, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is very (laughs) exciting. Good, good. And you're in your backyard and there's beautiful birds in the background. So this is going to really feel like a really super laid back chat in our garden. If the pandemic wasn't happening, we would uh, be together. I'd be on your couch, which is what I always feel like when I'm listening to your podcast. So it is definitely an honor to to be on your your show today and be chatting with you and seeing you this video forum. I know. So we're chatting over Zoom and I never ceases to like super fill my bucket to have these chats with people for the podcast. But I'm also thinking like, I should be doing this all the time. It's like so engaging and nourishing and exciting to just have time to chat with people. So we're going to get something out of this conversation. Hopefully the people listening also get something out of this conversation. But tell me a little bit more about you and how did we meet? I'm, I'm Allison, Allie for short, and my daytime job, you could say I work in the wine industry. Um, and uh, when I'm not working, I'm, like Aaron said, I'm an avid reader. I do enjoy reading. Don't get me wrong. I also enjoy watching TV. I enjoy just <laughs> kind of hanging out outside, uh, drinking a tea, just kind of sitting in my, my thoughts and my daydreams. So I, I'm not a huge avid reader. I probably read around 25 to 30 books a year. So that's in the grand <laughs> scheme, of thing is, scheme of things is not a lot, but I do enjoy books. I do enjoy reading the new releases, reading the hot, hot picks that are out. And I also enjoy reading books that are easy to access, that there's not a huge wait list at the library. There's nothing more disheartening when you you put a book on hold and you see your oh. number 118. No. Oh my gosh, it's so upsetting. <laughs> and I'm also a big fan of paperbacks. So hardcover, no thank you. I'm reading books in bed, so I do enjoy a paperback or a book on my Kobo. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, I don't think about that very often because I usually just take whatever I can get from the library. But you make a really good point about like the tactile experience of a paperback, especially in the summertime. In the summertime, when you're going to be taking that book wherever you're going to go, mostly outside, you want something lightweight and bendable. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. Or the Kobo. Or the Kobo. The Kobo is uh, great at nighttime. I read before bed. My husband, mm-hmm. when it's bedtime, it's bedtime, lights out, but I, <laughs> I, I want to read before I go to bed. So the Kobo is nice. It has that light in the background so I can read. 
but my night table light is off, so it doesn't disturb him, but I can still uh, read a couple of e-pages before it's bedtime for me. I love that. I don't own a Kobo, but I do read a lot off of my iPad, and I do like tactile books. You and I share a particular love of the library, the public library. Yes. And I think that's very interesting because I don't know a lot of grown-ups who use the library. I know a lot of people who purchase books. Whenever I recommend a book or I talk about a book, the odds are 80% of the time I got it from the library, not from spending my own money. And I don't know, there's something since I kind of, probably since I started having kids, but maybe a little bit before that is I started going back to the library and I stopped buying books that I just ended up decluttering here and there and everywhere. Tell me about your love of the library. I love the library. I love that it is a place that is accessible to anyone and everyone. You don't have to have a lot of money to enjoy the library. The only thing with the library is that they're in the city. They're in a major city. So when I lived in the country, Mm -hmm. when I grew up in the country, it was um, difficult to access the library. But now living in this, in the city, I, the library is just a bike ride away, which I love. And I hope that my future children love and take advantage of it. I don't meet a lot of adults for whom the library is something that they use to access books. So what I love in talking with you is how much we both love the library. Another um, example of why the library is great, especially for adults when working full time and then we come home, we have to do our domestic duties. There's a book you love just on your phone, on your app put it on hold and then you get a lot an email when that library book is ready and how like easy is that you just walk into the library and there's a hold section for you and you just grab the book you scan it you scan your library card and you walk out like you saved yourself thirty dollars you didn't have to buy the book Um, and then when you're done you don't even have to walk into the library there's a little slot you just put the book in so it's it's so easy and we're all so busy but when there's a book recommendation in the in the paper on an Instagram feed I see, the first thing I do is I, I, t- I take a screenshot of it and then I log into my library account and I put it on hold. We are just like total twins in that way. <laughs> I do the exact same thing. I do the exact same thing. When I see a book that I think sounds cool, I just put a hold on the library and then I forget about it. And then I get these little emails from the library being like, hey, your book is ready. And I'm like, oh, what book? I don't even know. (laughs) So that's when you wake up in the morning and there's an email from the library. (laughs) Yes. The only emails I want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the email you want to get is your library hold notice email. (laughs) So we're going to recommend four books each and we kind of brainstormed a couple of categories. The first category is your reading sweet spot. Now, I kind of make fun of myself a lot when I talk about books because one of my sweet spots is young adult fantasy fiction with a female heroine. I love to read these books as a palate cleanser, as a, you know, escape from my real life, as an opportunity to read really quickly, like read in a really fast paced kind of like consume a plot in a really quick way. And I'm really curious to know from you, what is your reading sweet spot? Do you have a reading sweet spot? Oh, yes, I do. It is contemporary romance. And I know, like growing up, I was like, romance, who reads romance? But I'm all about contemporary romance. So relatable heroines, the world in these stories, they closely mirror our worlds. There's a conflict between like their work life and their dating life that needs to be resolved. 
these women in these novels, they are not swept away or saved by a man, although there is that happily ever after. These are stories of the relationship the heroine has with herself and how these relationships that they have with themselves is what sustains them, not what, not a relationship with a mate, with a, with a, a partner. And how did you come to the romance category? Because I know I have read maybe one or two, I guess, like contemporary romance novels. I have not gotten bit by the bug yet, but I'm, I'm 100% going to read whatever you recommend next, first of all. The second, the second thing is, is the second thing is, is when I was growing up, I would go to like a friend's house or my, my great aunt, for example, had this cottage and at the cottage, she had an amazing bookcase, but the majority of the bookcase were like bodice ripper romances. No, they're not Harley Quinn. (laughs) I would go and like, just like look at the covers of all of these books and be like, whoa, Auntie Claudette, you've really got a very voracious reading life. I can't even imagine what's in these books. You know, my little like nine-year-old brain was like exploding. (laughs) Tell me about like the romance genre is massive. It is massive. And yeah, it's like women are afraid, I think, to admit that they like the romance novel the romance genre and I'm not sure what that why that is maybe because it's we read to escape what are we escaping from in our life like do we not are we not satisfied enough are we not happy enough in our own romantic uh, relationships that we need to like go to a book and read it in a book I don't know I don't know like I don't know what put me down the path maybe it was like it probably was an Instagram book that someone posted (laughs) and I was like oh that looks the cover looks it's great. Um, it's not a Harley Quinn romance cover. It was uh, just like a, a drawing. And like, I don't know. I don't know. These are, they're, they're not like Fifty Shades, Fifty Shades books. These are, these are books with strong female characters. Yeah. yeah. They are diverse. Yeah. They're not just like heterosexual relationships. There yeah. are, there are relationships with, with other women, with other men. There are, and the characters are flawed. Like the, the women are flawed. The men are flawed in these books. And it's all about finding themselves first. And then the partner compliments them, helps raise them up. Mm. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to read about that? So if that's your reading sweet spot, Allie, what is your first book recommendation? Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Came out in 2019. It is a paperback. Okay. Um, and it is a, the first book in a sister's trilogy. Oh, okay. And a little bit of like a quick synopsis. The heroine is 31-year-old Chloe Brown. And after a near-death experience, she decides to reevaluate her very safe, cushy life. So she she sets out, she makes a, a, a list of goals that she needs to kind of achieve. Mm-hmm. And they're like, a couple of the goals are moving out, to move out of her parents' place, ride a motorcycle, do something bad. Oh. So she moves, she, she moves out, she gets this beautiful flat, and one of the main characters in this flat we meet is Redford. Redford, of course, is, is a good-looking, good-looking guy. And there's chemistry between the two, fun banter back and forth, and then it kind of just evolves. Redford is a flawed character, and Chloe's a very unique heroine. She's not your typical heroine you'd think of when you think of romance. She is, um, she has a chronic illness, 
Oh, that's interesting. She, yeah, she has fibromyalgia. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about that a lot in the book. She's a woman of color mm-hmm. and she's also a curvy woman. So that is what's really refreshing about this romance, this, this novel, is that the heroine is not your typical rom heroine. Mm-hmm. She's a woman of color who has curves and is dealing with a chronic illness. And in this novel, it is talked about a lot. And so would you say that you're recommending this as an opportunity for people to read about a non-traditional heroine, but enjoy more of a character-driven plot? Yes. And it's also with a romantic outcome. And it's not just like, this is not like your grandma romantic, like romance novel. It's like hot and steamy. Okay. Talia Hibbert bears no bars. Okay. Um, I think I've heard But it's funny as well. It's funny. Uh, you're, you're laughing at the characters. <laughs> like, you're, yeah. You're like hoping, like you want them to, to date and enjoy each other's company. You're rooting for each other. And when things happen, you're, you're excited for them. <laughs> I've heard this term before and I listened to a couple of book podcasts and I really like this term, which I think they call them open door scenes, which is basically like the sexy times part of the book, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, like I'm like, I'm looking at you, Ellie. I'm like, you're a grown woman. I'm a grown woman. What, this is a very like hard part to talk about, but we want to encourage you to pick up this book because of the sexy times in it, which you're going to enjoy yes. and love. And who yes. doesn't love that in the middle of the summer? Yes. Okay. So that's Get a Life, Chloe Brown by? Talia Hibbert. Talia Hibbert. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you about my own book. So my reading sweet spot, I call them quadrants, and I sort of like have these areas where I put books in terms of things that I love to read, especially when I'm looking for an escape. And I think that's probably something that like, if I'm going to recommend somebody put medium effort into listing the books that they want to read this summer, which I think is what we're trying to do is to say, pick the books you want to read this summer now, and then just read those books on the list and block out the rest of the noise around reading lists and best of the year and perfect beach reads. Because if you pick the books you want to read, you're going to read those books. You're not going to get too kind of like overwhelmed with choice. So another quadrant that I have, which I haven't talked about very much, and actually I'd forgotten is a kind of book that I love to read, is what I'm going to call um, pseudoscience fiction meaning science fiction that's just close enough to reality to be probable, but is not real. So books like Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton are a really good book that fall into this category. It's like, do dinosaurs exist? No, but if we pulled their DNA out of amber, they could exist. And I'm like, perfect. I'll buckle up for that. No problemo. I love that kind of stuff. I haven't read this kind of book in a really long time, but the book that I'm going to recommend is called Into the Drowning Deep. It's a book by Mira Grant. It was published in 2017. Into the Drowning Deep, and I'm going to just kind of paraphrase a little bit. I'm totally be honest with you. I've got Goodreads up right now, and I can never do any better than Goodreads. So I'm just going to kind of paraphrase off of what they've got. Into the Drowning Deep, it's about sort of set, sets up in the past, which is seven years ago, this 
huge ship set off on a voyage in the Marianas Trench. And this ship was actually funded by a tabloid TV production company. And this tabloid TV production company is kind of filming this fake documentary to try and find mermaids. And they're kind of following this legend of finding mermaids. And what actually happens is the entire crew is lost at sea. And it kind of remains this mystery. It remains a bit of a stain on this past of this uh, production company. So then you forward to the future, and what's happening is this production company is trying to actually make a bigger name for itself by actually putting together a huge crew to go and find out what happened to this original crew and either prove the existence of mermaids or not prove the existence of mermaids. And so you kind of set out on this science fiction-based very character-driven novel that takes a very dramatic twist in the middle to become almost as fast-paced as an action movie, as a Jurassic Park, as one of your summer blockbusters. The reason I love pseudoscience fiction is it kind of makes you feel a little bit like you can flex a muscle that you might call scientific, which I think we all kind of have. We're all kind of picking up new information and new knowledge about science, about you know the, the world, about climate change, about space, about you know whatever it may be. And we're integrating that information into our regular lives. And then when you read a book that's kind of pseudoscience fiction, you're reading a slightly different vocabulary. It's a little bit tantalizing. You're reading about you know maybe like scientific procedures that maybe exist or don't exist. But it is kind of like a really nice window into a field that you probably don't spend a lot of time in, assuming that you're not like a marine biologist or you know some kind of like oceanographic specialist of some kind. So I really loved this book. It was a little bit longer than I needed it to be personally, and it is a hardback. So that was not, I guess, not maybe falling into the um, Allison preferred uh, mode, but it's probably definitely <laughs> available on Kobo. This book is written by a woman. The main characters are female, and the plot is heavily driven by the choices that the women in this book make. There's a lot uh, driven um, in the relationship of sisters. There's a number of different characters who are sisters in the book, and they're layered amongst one another. And there is a lesbian relationship plot line that's a really great and integral part of the story. So I feel like this kind of genre, this pseudoscience fiction genre, really is, by reading it from a female author and with these female perspectives, kind of took the content in a new direction and was just really refreshing to read. My recommendation is going to be Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant, a new reading sweet spot for me. And I'm probably going to look for more books that kind of are recommended adjacent to this type of book. I might even read some more books by Mira Grant. Interestingly enough, she is an author who has written a whole other series of books under a pseudonym for whatever reason. So I'm kind of curious to investigate and research that a little bit more, but that's my book. Adding it to my uh, Hamilton <laughs> Library Holds. Very good. Perfect. Okay, our next category of book recommendation is a book that you always recommend. I find that once people realize that I read a lot, they do come to me for book recommendations. I'm going to assume from you that the same is true. Is that is yes. that the case? Yes. And it's always hard because... Like everyone has their own taste when it comes to books. Like my sweet spot was the romance. Um, not everyone's going to want to read that. So it, it depends. Like if they're coming to me for uh, what, what book they should read next, I'm assuming that they have the same 
taste in, in books. So that's what we're going with here, that the people who are enjoying this podcast have similar tastes. Um, <laughs> so what and, we're going to uh, assume is that they're going to do the work to know exactly if your taste sure. matches up with theirs. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you're yeah. going to unabashedly love whatever your taste in books is. So Allie, what is a book you always recommend? Daisy Jones and the Six. Oh, I've never read this. Oh, it came out in 2019 and it was a big, a big hit. It was the, the book to read in the summer of 2019. Again, available in paperback. I'm not sure what the, the whole length is on my local library, but it is available in paperback. So it is light to hold and easy to transport. And I loved, loved, loved this book. Why? It's funny. It's funny. Like I read this book. I read this book in summer. So that's in the book that I, the previous book I recommended, I read in summer as well. So I wonder if it's something to do with the season. And when people ask me for book recommendations, it depends on the season. If I'm, they're asking in summer, I'm giving them book recommendations that I read in the summer. It'd be interesting to, to chat about this in like winter. What are our, oh what are book gosh. recommendations in winter and to see if just like um, our recommendations change. Six months from now, we'll do it again. Perfect. I love this. What is your Christmas, winter holiday? Yeah. I wonder wonder if our our taste will change a little bit. Why did I love Daisy Jones and the Six? It was just, it was such a unique reading experience. I love this book. It's a fictitious, but it's written like an oral history on a rock band in the 70s. So major like Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks vibes. Mm. Also, if you're a fan of like almost famous, totally almost famous vibes. When I was reading this, this novel, it was totally like I was looking through it through sepia, like a sepia filter. Oh, I I loved it so much. And I'll just pull up a book. Like it wasn't the pages weren't like written like this, like paragraph. There were no like paragraphs. It was written like an, an interview transcript. So it was like I was reading a Rolling Stones interview. Interview. Yeah. Interview transcript between the six, the band, the band members and their relationship with Daisy Jones, who was a singer on her own and then became a singer with the band. And then the band eventually fell apart. Who's the author? Who wrote it? Sorry. Um, Taylor Jenkins Reid. Yes. And she has a new book out. She has a new book out that's that we're very, not going to recommend. We're not going to recommend. <laughs> um, I heard that there are little snippets of clues in every book she writes throughout. So a previous book, The Seven Husbands of El- Evelyn Hugo. Yes. There are characters in that book that are in Malibu Rising. And I think there are characters in Daisy Jones or there's like secondary characters in Daisy Jones that are in Malibu Rising. Don't quote me, but I've heard that she like leaves little clues in all of her books. So it'll be interesting to read when it uh, becomes available at the library just to read these clues and kind of go on your own like little scavenger hunt. Amazing. You know what? I actually just read, not just, I, I have read this year, The Glass Castle, which is a sequel, not a sequel. It's another book written by the author who wrote Station Eleven. I don't know if you've read that. And that author does the same thing. And I recently learned that actually Stephen King has been doing that for years in all of his books. His characters will often run, because I think a lot of his books are set in Maine, and his characters will run into, just off chance, other characters in his books, which I had no idea. And so that's such a, I love that. I just love that little, like, you don't have to have read the other book, but if you have, you're going to kind of get this extra, you know, lovely flavor 
from the that reading. insider handshake from the, In, the author. That's the exact perfect way of putting it. I love that. Okay. The book that I always recommend is pretty old, actually. It's the oldest book that I'm going to recommend on my list. And that book is called Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese. This is a book that was published in 2009. This is a bit of a saga novel. It is pretty riveting from the moment it begins. It begins with the birth of these twin brothers. Their, their mother is a nun and their mother passes away at their birth. And so they're sort of orphaned at, her, at their birth and their father disappears. And it is based in Ethiopia, um, but translates across Africa and then into America later. These twin brothers sort of have this relationship coming of age in this environment where they're being raised by people who knew their parents. And so they sort of get raised alongside the knowledge of their parents, alongside this sort of haunting um, shadow of the past and the twins are both very different but it's very much sort of focused on one of the twins it's told from the perspective of one of the twins and it kind of takes this full circle moment with many of the characters and I have read this book multiple times I don't read a lot of books more than once I'll be honest with you and honestly this was absolutely just like riveting it's made me cry more than once it really is a book I have never read anything like it ever again. I think it's kind of a one-of-a-kind story. If you liked uh, books like uh, The Kite Runner, I think it's probably like adjacent to that kind of story. If you're looking for something from your summer reading that is a little bit more than a beach read, if you want something that's going to kind of last you through a week of vacation, you want to bring one book. I mean, are we taking vacations? Are we going anywhere and doing anything? I don't know. Like in this imaginary summer where we take vacations and you only want to bring one book, I highly recommend Cutting for Stone by Abraham Varghese. It's pretty much the number one book that I recommend ever since I read it back way back when, whenever I read it, probably back in 2009. I don't know. Have you read it? I have not. I did read The Kite Runner back in 2009 and I remember just bawling my eyes out that whole time I was reading that novel. So yeah, I'm definitely going to add this to my, my list. I, I like books that are meaningful and they impact you when they make you feel, they make you feel something. Mm-hmm. And if a book makes, makes me cry, that is a five-star book. In yeah. My opinion. yeah, me too. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Okay. We're on to our third book. We're going to talk about a book that surprised us. Allie, Tell me about a book you read that surprised you and why did it surprise you? Funny that you should have referenced Stephen King earlier because that is one of his books did surprise me. So I stay away from Stephen King because he's the master horror writer and Mm -hmm. I, I do not like horror. I scare very easily. I get nightmares. So I stayed away from Stephen King's books. I don't know how this book landed on my desk, but it landed on my desk and I devoured it. And that book is 112263. No way. I have just, one of my like most favorite podcasters recommended this book just a couple episodes ago. Tell me again. 112263. Okay, and why so did it, was it right, surprise you? One, because it's like the author. <laughs> um, but it was not a horror. It was part sci-fi, part historical fiction, 
part romance. It is a tome of a read. It's 800 plus pages. Oh boy. Um, yes. But it, like I read this book, I read it in a week. I read it on a vacation week, but I could not put it down. Again, like you said, it's set, set in Maine. The protagonist, Jake Epping, recently divorced high school English teacher from Maine. And he finds himself face-to-face with a time-traveling portal and a dilemma. The dilemma is either to go back in time to September 9th, 1958 and stop the assassination of JFK or remain in the present day, be, remain being a high school teacher, remain um, being a recently divorced man, and then just constantly wonder, what if I had that, that opportunity to change history? What's unique about this, the, there are two rules for this portal. The first rule is that every trip is only two minutes in the present day. So if you go back in time and you come back, you've only missed two minutes of that day. And every time you go back, into this portal to travel back into time, it's a complete reset. So everything you did from September 9th, 1958 onwards is in a race. So you have you start back to September 9th, 1958. And as you know, as we know, JFK was assassinated on 11-22-63. I didn't, I, I wouldn't have put that all together. Yeah, oh it's, it's amazing. It's a, like a, a what if tale of going back in time and being able to change the tra- trajectory of history but then like, but should history be changed? And there's that saying, everything happens for a reason. Does everything happen for a reason? <laughs> Jack Epping finds out in this, this novel, like it's, it's very, a very powerful read. And Stephen King's writing is just so fun as well. Like you said, there are little clues of, from other novels that he's, he's written. Um, there are fun like sayings. I remember I read in 11, 63, about one character, he has ants in his pants and bees in his knees. I've never heard that expression, but I use it all the time now. <laughs> his writing is just, it was, was just so clever and fun, and I definitely recommend it if, you, if uh, the number of pages doesn't scare you. <laughs> so mine was for a one-week vacation, and yours for a three-week vacation. For your whole summer vacation. You yeah. <laughs> you only need one book, and it's going to be yes. by Stephen King. <laughs> about time travel. So I'll be honest, I've never read Stephen King. I have heard he is a great writer. And I was thinking about dabbling and reading a bit of his stuff. But like you, I was very put off by this sort of idea of horror genre fiction. And most of the imagery I have of Stephen King is movie imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, So what made you pick up this book? Is this the first Stephen King book you've ever read? No, it's not anymore. I yeah, I have no, I don't know why. I picked this book up. I have no idea what came, how I came across it. After this book, I read his On Writing, which is just like a memoir of the craft of writing. And then I read a small little novella he released, he published in 2018 called Elevation, which is also a very unique story that was not, was not scary. And it's really interesting when an author who is known for being a horror writer is able to write like a science fiction or write a historical novel. What I found so fascinating about 112260, yes, it is fiction. It's loosely based on real, real life, real events mm-hmm. that happened. And I found myself reading something and then like Google searching Jackie O or Google, like Google searching JFK and Google searching like names of streets and they all exist. And it's just like you're, you're learning as you're enjoying the story. I love it. I love it. 
I'm going to read that. 112263. Amazing. By Stephen King. My book is a hard pivot from this kind of content. <laughs> My book is actually very much attached to uh, the very first book club that actually not the first, a book club that I joined shortly after having my first son in 2013. I was pretty lonely on my first maternity leave and I fell into uh, what used to be called meetup.com and I actually have no idea if that even still exists. I mean, not during COVID, but this is essentially like an opportunity for like-minded individuals to meet up in person and build connection and friendship based on, you know, a kind of common ground. And I think I was probably looking for mommy groups at the time, but what I stumbled on was something the moderator had called Oprah type book club. And the time in 2013, I was, like I said, a new mom and at home a lot and reading a little bit more than I had previously. And I joined this book club out of a whim with a handful of very diverse individuals from all walks of life who all kind of came together to read Oprah type books. And the book that surprised me was our first book, which is called The Language of Flowers. It's a book by uh, Vanessa Diffenbach. And this is a book about an 18-year-old young woman who kind of gets ejected from the foster care system. And what she finds is uh, an opportunity for work with flowers and finds that she sort of has this connection to build people bouquets or floral arrangements in a way that kind of attracts good good energy into their lives but of course you know coming from the history that she comes from she's a bit of a tragic heroine she's has a hard time trusting people she likes being alone and through a series of events she becomes pregnant and so the back half of the story is very much about her real challenges transitioning from never having had a parent or a mother to being someone that someone else relies on this book surprised me mostly because of the title, The Language of Flowers, and the start of it is very sweet. It starts off thinking it's going to be a very simple, straightforward story, and what happens somewhere in the middle is actually quite tragic and traumatic. Um, there's a couple of scenes in this book that I will never forget of what happens to this woman right after she delivers. And she kind of doesn't have anyone in her life to coach her through early postpartum, and she has a bit of a breakdown. And these scenes are written in a way that is extremely raw, very tender, very emotional. And I think I just was a new mom myself. And I just did not expect this book to kind of sweep me off my feet and make me feel as related to this 18-year-old to this character who, you know, whose life looked nothing like mine. It's a book that I think kind of comes around in the end. And what really holds the book together is this lovely Victorian sensibility when it comes to flowers and how much flowers used to kind of send messages and give us meaning before we had cell phones or the internet or text messages, before we had Zoom calls, you know, someone would send someone a floral arrangement and the flowers that they chose would send specific messages to that person who was receiving them. The book, I think, again, really surprised me just in how it kind of landed in my lap through an, 
an unusual series of events. I don't think I ever would have picked this book up if I had never kind of stumbled on meetup.com and found, you know, the Oprah type book club. We read a handful more books. And then unfortunately, the book club kind of dissolved after maybe 10 months together. But that very first book of that very first meeting, I don't think I'll ever forget it. And it definitely surprised me for sure. It's an it sounds old, like a powerful read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also kind of like gently guides you into understanding this character before you get to this really kind of like the crux of it all, you know? Yeah. So that's a book that surprised me. I think it's a good summer book if you're looking for books that are very sort of single character centric and you kind of aren't really sure what they're going to do. There's a bit of unpredictability, but you have a sense that it's, the book is taking you to a place where it's all going to be okay in the end. That I think kind of circles back to what you talked about reading like contemporary romance is that you do kind of read the characters go through these challenges and these struggles that are very relatable and real, but you trust in some reason, in some ways, the reason that that challenge is nice to read is because you trust that the book is kind of going to bring you to a place where you're going to feel really satisfied and glad for everybody that you care about in this book. And the language of flowers is like that. So that's a book that I read that surprised me. Okay, this is our last book. This is our last book category. And it is, if you read one book this summer, you should read blank. You want me to go first? I've already said 112263 is an 800-page book that you're going to read. Yeah. (laughs) But if if that's not for you, you have to read Anne Green Gables. I got chills. Yeah, something about about summer just makes me like so nostalgic for the yesteryears. Um, Maybe it's because like days are longer and there's more time to reflect inwardly. Pre-pandemic, we were able to reflect outwardly on past summer experiences and memories we had with friends while simultaneously making like new memories, which this uh, summer is all up in the air with uh, COVID. And I find summer is also a time that like we yearn for summers of our youth, like camping, sleepovers, water parks, copious amounts of ice cream, and reading your favorite comfort read that you read when you were a a tween or a a teen. And to me, that was Anne of Green Gables. She is my, that was my comfort read. Uh, Anne is my kindred spirit, as she's probably many, many um, people's kindred spirit. And it's just, it's, it's a book that I, I go back to. I've read probably a handful of times. I read it a couple of times growing up. I read it again in university for a, a class. And then I just read it last week just to reread it. Rereading it now, what's fun about it is, so here's my like little nerdy hat. There are so many parallels with Harry Potter. I'm not sure if you're a Harry Potter fan. I am. But I was reading it. I was reading it and I was like, oh my goodness, Harry Potter was 11. And Shirley is 11 when she's adopted. Tell me more. Um, I'm totally subscribed to what I I probably can't, I I cannot write an essay on this. I probably have no like ground to to, like. Guess what, Allie? The new essay is the podcast. You just talk your thoughts out. (laughs) They're they're both orphans. They're both 11. There's many times in the book that Anne is referred to as a, a, a witch, which she's not. But like her character is witchy and Harry Potter is a wizard. Harry Potter uses like his magic, whereas Anne's magic is her imagination. So just, it was, it's fun. It was just fun to like compare the two. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, yes. please write more about that. What also is really fascinating about this, like this Anna Green Gables that was um, published in 1908, I believe, like in the early 1900s, and just how language has changed from 1908 to 2020. It's just, it's like amazing. We don't speak like this anymore. And it's just like, if you're, if you're a fan of language, just going back to read it and it's, it's easy to read. It's not hard to read, but just words like wherefores, they're off. We don't speak like that anymore. And that's just, that was normal speech in 1908. It's yeah, it's just fascinating to, to read it, to enjoy it, but then also to like, oh, that's how people spoke. And oh, Harry Potter. <laughs> you make so many great points there about Harry Potter. I mean, what does that make Matthew? Is he Dumbledore? Does that make oh Marilla? What is Marilla? Is Marilla Hermione or is Marilla, yeah. is Marilla McGonagall? Who is Ron? Yeah. Is Diana yes. is Ron? Wow. I oh can my go goodness. On. We I could, could go we on. Could write an essay about this. I could, I could go on. I think, I think you need to write that out. You need to send that. The blogs are going <laughs> to that up. To the Harry Potter forum. Guys, Allie is brilliant and she is writing the parallels between (laughs) Green Gables and Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Genius. Oh my goodness. I can't even, I can't even, I can't even, you've taken my breath away with Anne of Green Gables is the book you should read this summer. It is the book. And it's, I, have you, have you read Anne of Green Gables? I'm sorry, that's a question. Yes. Have you read any of the other books in the series? Oh, see, I haven't. I've only read this one and now. I know. I'm like, is this the summer? I like it. I read the, the other. Anne. It's the summer, summer of, Anne. of Anne. You have to do it. Actually, my favorite Lucy Maud Montgomery book is Emily of New Moon, which is not even in the Anne series. It's another kind of chunk of like characters on the island. But anyway, they're all good. There's also a really good Anne of, Anne of Green Gables really focused on being a mother, which is also, oh. I just find these things so interesting, right? Because I read most of them probably between the ages of 11 and 14, maybe not even younger, probably, and probably didn't really appreciate a lot of the things. Because when you read Anne of Green Gables and you're a kid, you're like, oh, and then they drank the raspberry cordial and they got drunk and that was really funny. But when you read it as an adult, you realize how innocent they were and the experience of the adults who find them and discover them and how kind of like, they're always kind of laughing at her a little bit. And I feel that way sometimes about my own kids is I'm always kind of like, I have this middle son, Henry, and I'm always kind of like, where did you come from? And what is coming out of your mouth? You know, like I can relate to the adults who would have been around Anne, but then also this sheer magic of just like, she, she writes these scenes, Ellen Montgomery of like looking out of a window and you could like, you feel like there's no way this child is living in the same world that the people around her are. You're right. That is her. That is her. Her magic for sure. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful. Re- I, I love it. And now, like being being a mom and relating to Marilla, just like having so much love mm-hmm. for this this child, and it's like, where did this love come from? And now, like you, I can relate to Marilla as well. Like mm-hmm. I was Anne growing up, and now I'm mm-hmm. Marilla. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, Allie, that is an incredible, incredible pick. Okay, well, I'm going to close with something that is not even remotely going to have the same nostalgia, but it is a great book. And many people listening have probably read it. And Allie, I think you probably have read this book too. My recommendation is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Uh, This book was published at the very end of 2019. So I'm probably stretching the definition of backlist a little bit, but 
This is a very striking novel from Kylie Reed. It's her first novel. It's a page turner. It has magnificent characters. It has great relationships. And it is very fast paced in a way that has you changing your mind about what you want to happen next. It is written about a character, Amira, who is sort of in her, like the later half of her 20s and kind of seeing her friends make sort of like adulting decisions and she herself is kind of unsure about whether or not those decisions need to kind of she needs to mirror those decisions in her friends she's always worked for this woman alex chamberlain and the whole story opens the night that something happens to the chamberlain's house and amira works as their nanny and alex chamberlain calls her to say amira can you take the toddler out of our house we're going to we're going to just need some space because the cops have to come their house has been vandalized and while Amira, who is black, takes their toddler out of the house in the middle of the night, she goes to a grocery store, which is a seemingly harmless choice. But while she's at the grocery store, she gets accused of kidnapping this toddler that she babysits. And the story evolves from there. It's very much about race. It's very much about class. It's very much about the choices that women should make. What's a good choice for a woman and what's you know, not as good of a choice, especially when you're a person of color. And I think that the story is written in a way where the dialogue, I think, is the best part of this book. It's how people talk to each other that really brings the book to life. It's how the friends talk to each other. It's how this character, Alex, sort of sees her life and positions herself to have influence or to take power in a society that has definitely been built for her to make those moves as a woman who is white. I think it's a really good reflection on race without necessarily being academic or alienating. It's also still just like a really fun story and a really good page turner. So that's my recommendation. I think if you read only one book and you're going to kind of get something really meaty out of it, but also probably have a pretty good time, that's my recommendation, which is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Have you read Great it? Great pick. I have. Great yeah. pick. Yeah. Very powerful. Very timely as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only book we both read. And Anna Green Gables. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anne of Green Gables is not even in this, is, is like, it's, it's its own category of book. Oh my gosh, Allie. Okay, that's our books. Those are our four books. I'm going to review from, from the bottom up. If you read one book this summer, Allie's going to suggest reading Lucy Mon Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables. Um, I'm going to recommend you read Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. A book we read that surprised us, Ali said Stephen King's 11-22-63, and I said The Language of Flowers by Vanessa Diffenbach. A book you we always recommend, Ali always recommends Daisy Jones and the Six. I'm definitely going to read that this summer by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and I will always recommend Cutting for Stone by Abraham Varghese. Our reading sweet spots, they're pretty different, but we think you're going to love to read Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant or Get a Life, Chloe Brown. I'm probably also definitely going to read that book by Talia Hibbert. Four books from you, four books from me. Those eight books we think will take you through the summer pretty well, and uh, you're going to have to tell us what you think. I can be found on Instagram. I'm at medium.lady over there. Allie, if people want to follow you, do you want to share your Instagram handle? Sure. I'm Allie Openlander, at Allie Openlander. 
at Allie Openlander, and we are very happy to have had you join us today. I think the bottom line, my message for people, Allie, is think about what you want to read for the summer right now, and don't feel like you have to follow the pressure of the summer reading lists. And take a page out of uh, your book. Give yourself a permission slip to enjoy reading. If, like, even if it's young adults, even if it's a graphic novel, there's no rules when it comes to reading. You don't have to read a certain book because you're a certain age. Read what makes you happy. Read what you enjoy. Summer is all about enjoying the moment. So, so enjoy what you're reading. Don't put pressure on yourself. Oh my gosh, I couldn't have come up with any better advice. Allie, thank you for coming on my podcast. How did it go for you? Thank you so much. It was it was wonderful. Thank you. Good, good. And we got the birds and the sunshine. It was wonderful. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you could rate and review wherever you are enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it. It will really help me find like-minded listeners. This has been Medium Lady Talks episode 14, your summer reading guide with my friend Allie. I'm Erin. This has been Medium Lady Talks and I will see you again soon. Bye. Bye, Allie. Bye.